In the Ten Commandments, God said, do not commit adultery. Exodus 20, verse 14. Adultery is a serious crime against God and humanity. It wrecks marriages, tears apart families, and fills people with hurt, anger, and resentment. Adultery is a sin of betrayal that destroys the peace and harmony of relationships and also communities. It compromises our integrity, corrupts our character, and mars the sacred image of God that is within each of us. And that is why God takes adultery seriously. In the civil law for Israel, ancient Israel, back in the Old Testament, the punishment for adultery was death. In Deuteronomy, for instance, in Deuteronomy 22, 22, it says, If a man is discovered committing adultery, both he and the woman must die. In this way, you will purge Israel of such evil. Now, for us today, that might seem too harsh a penalty in the modern era. But if you've ever been betrayed by an adulterous spouse, you may wish the Old Testament penalty was still in effect today. And adultery is evil. It is destructive, not just to the spouse. It also harms families and society. While infidelity may have become more common and and we are more lenient about it in civilian life, the military still continues to enforce strict prohibitions against adultery. It is illegal for married military personnel to engage in adultery according to military law. It is a crime in the military that can be prosecuted because the military understands that adultery is a distraction that leads to the loss of trust and morale amongst the troops and a decline in fighting efficiency. If convicted of adultery, a soldier can face up to a year of jail time, dishonorable discharge, and the forfeiture of all pay and allowances. That's pretty harsh. But I guess the military is dealing with you know, a mission, and they understand that Adultery is not just a personal matter. It affects a soldier's ability to serve and a a, a military unit's ability to be effective in their mission. Now, hopefully, you've never cheated on your spouse. However, statistics indicate that there are some here who probably have. I read some research that says that somewhere between 10 to 20% of married couples have had an infidelity at some point. If that's true, then there's a likelihood that at least 10 people listening to this message today have cheated on their spouse. But for those who haven't, we need, to be, we need not to be too proud of ourselves. Jesus has a few words to say about adultery in his Sermon on the Mount. And his words challenge us all. In Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to read verses 27 through 30, it says, you have heard the commandment that says, you must not commit adultery. But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. 
So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. The holiness God demands of his people is tremendous. Those tremendous demands are spelled out in the Old Testament law by the extreme penalties for adultery. Those who, commit, who committed adultery were to be put to death. But Jesus points out that the demands of God's holy law go even deeper than what happens outwardly. Jesus says it goes all the way down into a person's heart. So if you even desire sensual intimacy with someone other than your spouse, you've committed adultery in your heart. A study of the University of California interviewed 676 men and women whose average age was 25 on the intensity and frequency with which they experienced sexual desire. Almost all those interviewed, 97%, reported having experienced lustful feelings, with men only slightly more likely to feel sexual desire, 99%, than women who were at 96%. Now, these statistics may or may not be representative of a wider population, but I know that we live in an over-sexualized society. People today in Dalton, Georgia, are certainly more infatuated with sex than the socially conservative people to whom Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount 2,000 years ago. Their culture required modest clothing, whereas our culture prefers to accentuate and advertise the desirability of the human body. The conversations of first century Jews carefully avoided sexually provocative language, while in our time we seem to crave explicit lyrics and songs and readily portray nudity and sensuality on TV while exploiting sexuality to sell products in our commercials. There is no doubt that we are more obsessed with sex than the people who first heard Jesus' words when he said, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. One point would be that we are all guilty. Jesus said, So, if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. One might wonder why we aren't all walking around like pirates. It's important here to point out Jesus is using hyperbole. 
There's a fancy word, hyperbole. Hyperbole is an exaggerated statement not meant to be taken literally. I haven't had breakfast. I might say, I'm so hungry I could eat a horse. But please don't feed me a horse for lunch today, okay? I don't really want a horse. It's just an expression. And my feet are killing me because I did a lot of walking yesterday. But my feet aren't actually killing me. You understand what I'm saying. And I think Jesus is saying something similar when he says, if your eye causes you to sin, to lust, gouge it out. He's not actually instructing people to pluck out their eye to keep them from lusting. Here's the thing. Blind men lust too. Nor did Jesus really want his disciples to actually cut off their hand to keep them from stealing. These were exaggerations. Jesus was making some serious points though. And he used serious language to drive home that fact. Point number one. First of all, don't be self-righteous just because you've never cheated on your spouse. Romans 3.23 spells it out clearly. For all have sinned and fall short of God's glorious standard. Don't judge someone else because they sin differently than you. Don't feel superior. James 2 verse 10 tells us, For the person who keeps all the laws except one is as guilty as the person who has broken all of God's laws. Say that again. James, Jesus' brother, says, For the person who keeps all the laws except one is as guilty as the person who has broken all of God's laws. See, that puts us all on equal ground as sinners, at least in terms of God's judgment. Second, Jesus points out God's incredible standard of holiness. It goes way beyond just our physical actions. God even looks looks into and cares about the motives in our hearts. And since our hearts are corrupt, we have a serious problem. We need new hearts. Third, Jesus shows our utter helplessness in regards to sin and holiness. Romans 6.23 puts it this way. The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So the consequences of our sin is death, not just our sinful actions, but even the inner motives in our sinful hearts. And so we're all guilty. We're all deserving of death. That's why Jesus came, to free us from the curse of sin. He paid the penalty for our sin, and he also offers us a remedy for our sinful hearts. Through Jesus, we can have a new, perfect heart. Jesus satisfies the demands of the law. He paid the penalty for our sins. And he fulfills the Old Testament prophecies about God's new covenant with his people. Such as Ezekiel chapter 36 and verse 26, where it says, 
And I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart, and I will give you a tender, responsive heart. Hebrews 10.16 says, This is the new covenant I will make with my people on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. We're talking about not just following the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law. Not just because God says so, but because we want to. So now we can make a fresh start with God. When we repent of our sin, Jesus begins to change our hearts so that we actually want to live the way God wants us to live. Not just because we're following the rules, but because we love God and we want to do what is lovely to Him. And we love our neighbors and we want to do what is right for them for the right reasons because we care about them. We don't want to do anything that harms them. Jesus' fourth point is that Jesus calls his followers to live holy lives. His exaggerated statements about plucking out your eye and cutting off your hand, though symbolic, they do have practical meaning. If your eye causes you to sin, don't look. Act as though you had plucked out your eyes and you were blind. What I mean is, be extremely careful what you look at. Guard what you see so that you do not find yourself being led into temptation. And when Jesus says, cut off your hand, then take his advice seriously and don't put your hand near things that cause you to sin. With a little thoughtful prayer, we can recognize the kinds of things that tempt us. We can learn ways to steer clear of them. And this is going to be different for different people. You see, Jesus understands that we're all individuals. And every time somebody wanted to make Jesus give a definitive statement about do this, don't do that, he always wanted to look at people as individuals and see into their hearts and what they struggle with. It's not about following a rule so much as it is about doing what is helpful for you or harmful for you in society. If you're an alcoholic, don't hang out at a bar. In fact, you do well to avoid alcohol altogether. That doesn't necessarily mean alcohol is bad for all people. Even Jesus drank wine with his disciples. But if you're an alcoholic, don't be led into temptation. You know that's a problem. Steer clear. Use some common sense. And we all have different things that we struggle with. And if you take a little time to pray about it and ask the Lord to reveal it to you and you reflect on your life and your own weaknesses, you can discover the kinds of things that you need to make sure you don't let your hand touch and your eyes see. Avoid being around those things that lead you into temptation and cause you to sin. 
Well, as I close today, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you? Don't worry about what He's saying to someone else. What's He saying to you? Which of these four points hits you right where you are? Maybe today you need to repent of sin, turn to Jesus to save you, and start living the holy life He calls you to live and enables His followers to live. Gracious Father, we thank You for Your grace, for Your mercy that is found in Jesus Christ. For when we were lost in sin and hopeless in, our conse- in the consequences of sin, experiencing the spiritual death that comes to all who fall short of Your glory standard, when we were lost in sin, Jesus came at just the right time. He showed us how to live by living a perfect life, fulfilling your law completely, both outwardly and inwardly, the letter and the spirit. And because we were guilty and deserving of death, he went to the cross and gave his life for our sakes. And his blood is available to wash away our, all our sin and make us holy. We thank you, Father, that in your love and in your power, you raised him from the grave on the third day so that you might show to all the world that you are more powerful than sin and you are more powerful than death and you are able to redeem sinners. And now he has risen to sit at the right hand of your throne in the glory of heaven, showing that we too can rise to new life. Help us, O Lord, to put our trust in him. Send your Holy Spirit to convict us of our sin, that we might turn away from it and turn to Christ and trust in him for salvation. Help us, O Lord, to commit our lives, to follow him as Lord, and to seek the Holy Spirit's assistance to guide us to live the holy lives you want of us. And Lord, we, as we cooperate with your Spirit, we believe that more and more we will become like Jesus. And yet you will see him in us. And you will welcome us in glory as you have welcomed your Son. In his name we pray. Amen.